week two of our Sermon on the Mount series. I'm calling it Detox because the Sermon on the Mount is uh, Matthew 5 through 7. It's this concise sermon from Jesus where he details this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what we should be doing if we say we follow Jesus. So for me, it makes it the most important passage, uh, like section in the Bible for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. And we live in a toxic world right now. Cable news is toxic. Politics are toxic. Family gatherings are toxic. Toxic workplace, toxic neighborhoods, toxic social media. Toxic, 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 okay? This will help us detox. It's a lifeline from Jesus. And uh, not only will we detox from the state of the world that we're in, if we live this stuff out, I think what we'll see is we're bringing a little bit of hope and healing into the world around us. So it's really important right now uh, that, we, that we take a look. So we started out last, uh, last week, was week one, we talked about the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. And in that, Jesus does a couple things, one of which is he kind of uh, gives a, the, the spiritual ladder. Like he starts out with, uh, if you're spiritually bankrupt, you're blessed because God's kingdom is available to you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you're clear up here and, and you know, your, your faith is so hot that you're being persecuted for it, you're blessed because God's kingdom is available to you. He paints a picture of this ladder and then he kind of takes and he turns it to become a platform and it says, you know, well, you're all blessed no matter where you're at because God's kingdom is available to you. But he also, through that, he gives this vision of, <clears throat> I think one of the things he does is he says, you're blessed also no matter where you're at. He t- spends a lot of time, ta- time talking about the margins, like the spiritually bankrupt, um, uh, the, the mourning, the hurting, um, the frustrated, those forgotten. And, and I think he's, he's kind of saying, you're blessed because my followers are going to be doing my life in the world, my lifestyle, and, and that means that they're going to be investing in you. So everybody wins when God's kingdom comes to earth, and this kingdom comes to earth through us living out these teachings. Now, we're to the point today at the very beginning, after the introduction, Jesus announces, he announces to his people who they are. So he begins uh, not with a bunch of rules or expectations, he begins with an announcement, and he says, very famous, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So he says, you're salt and you're light. Now, I was reminded a year ago just how useful salt is in everyday life. I mean, salt's delicious, right? Salt on tater tots. <clears throat> but um, um, a year ago, uh, we had this ice storm with a dusting of snow on top overnight. And for 24 hours, they were like, hey, Thursday night, there's going to be an ice storm. And then there's going to be a dusting of snow. So heads up. And Thursday night came, and there was an ice layer on my driveway, and there was a dusting of snow. Just like they told me for 24 hours, like I knew that this was going to be the situation. Well, I decided because there was a layer of ice on my son's uh, van, it was 6 a.m. in the morning, and he's 17, and he's up in the shower getting ready for school, and I thought I'd be nice and go out and start his car, because I know he's not going to sit there and scrape, and I'm sure not going to scrape, but if I run the van for a half an hour in the driveway, not only is that environmentally friendly, um, it melts 
the ice on the vehicle. And so, um, so I went out to do that, and as they say, no good deed goes unpunished. So knowing the situation, I see the dusting on the driveway, and I thought I'm just going to be real careful. So in my uh, Cleveland Brown slippers, I'm walking down our two steps. There's our, you know, our, 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 our pad for our porch and our two concrete steps. And I step down, and I'm good. And I take a step and immediately just start Fred Flintstone, and only though in reverse, you know, I feel my feet. And then just this home alone, just back parallel to the ground. And it's amazing how much you can think in like a second and a half. Because I'm like, my hands are in my pocket. And so, I mean, I'm like, you know, parallel to the ground, and all I can think of is those steps are back there. And, and this is really going to be bad. And I might have, like all this, it's like, I'm going to break my back. I'm going to hit my head. I'm going to need the squad. I may never walk again. Like, I'm, like this, was, this was going to be a bad fall. And sure enough, I hit my lower back on the corner of the low step and my upper back on the corner of the top step and my head cracked against the uh, patio, which knocked the wind out of me. And so I'm sitting there and I, you know, I remembered back to when I was, you know, I was probably like 10 the last time I had the wind knocked out of me. And I just thought, I know it'll come back. I know I'll start breathing again, but you can't breathe. And then I'm thinking, can I, can I move? Can I move my lower, you know, can I, like, you just, thought, your mind's just felt the back of my head thinking, what am I going to, you know. Now, <clears throat> all in all, it was, a, it was a bad fall. And I certainly felt it for quite a while. Um, like, I, I went through some Aleve in the coming days, but I didn't break anything. I didn't crack my head open or anything. So I, I made out okay. Um, but I knew, had I just put some salt down the night before, so now in my garage I have three bags of salt, and I've gone through a whole bag already this winter, and we haven't even hardly had snow. I just, if it's like, if it went in doubt, I'm salting the, the, the steps. I'm also not going out in the morning. He can start his own car. Um, but salt's a very useful commodity. And then as my life becomes more and more like those Geico commercials, you're becoming like your parents. You know, the, um, my, my latest thing is, is I like carry this thing around with me everywhere. Um, like a little flashlight, total becoming your parents, but it's like menu, bam. <laughs> Under the chair, bam. Up in the corner, bam. And as I'm sure one of those commercials would say, that you got one of those on your phone, Alex, I know, but it's not like this. Light, more and more useful the older I get. I love my little flashlight. So Jesus, Jesus says, man, you guys, you guys need to see yourself as these incredibly useful. Like you are really useful. The world really needs you. So let me read and this is on, uh, we're on page 969 in your Bibles. Would love for you to grab a Bible in the chair in front, underneath the chair in front of you. And again, I say it every week. I like for everybody to do this so that if there's someone new, 
um, then they don't feel like they stand out. When everybody's reading from the Bible, then nobody's standing out. And if you don't have, um, if you don't have a Bible at your house that that, that you can easily read, uh, maybe the translation is is um, uh, not something you're not comfortable with, then just take one of those Bibles with you uh, as a gift. Every week I have to put in, you know, three or four or five new Bibles under the under the um, chairs, and I love doing that because it means that you know people are taking it and hopefully using it. So this is Matthew 5. We're starting in verse 13 on page 969. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people lay a lamp put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, there is, once again, (laughs) these words from Jesus are inexhaustible. You can do so much with these short sentences, these simple words. Um, Books and books and books could be written about any one of these verses. What I'm going to focus on today is that Jesus casts a vision as a potential. Uh, he, he seems to see the potential that uh, somehow those in his movement could uh, get sidetracked. Uh, the idea of salt losing its saltiness, the idea of light being put under a bowl. So he seems to say from the front, you know, it is possible for you to be exposed to all this stuff and somehow veer off track. Salt can lose its saltiness. You can be in the middle of this stuff. And, and so, so here's where it's important now. Um, uh, in a toxic world, <clears throat> when the source of hope, when and if the source of hope, the church, followers of Jesus, if we ourselves become toxic, or if we lose sight of our potential. It's really bad. Like, how much more is, is, is the world hopeless when, when the, the salt and the light is no longer salt and light? Like, everybody loses when salt is no longer salty and light is put under a bowl. But Jesus says it can happen. He says in, in the book of Revelation, he talks about um, uh, people losing their first love. This idea that, man, you're not salt, you're not light anymore, you've lost your first love. And I think that there are a lot of different ways that it can happen. Sometimes it happens through, um, you know, we get distracted by the ways of the world and pursuits of the world and success and uh, material things. Sometimes it happens through bitterness. Uh, Life happens and we get bitter and and we, uh, you know, get frustrated or whatever. Uh, A lot of of Christians are, are walking away from their faith right now because they're frustrated by the way other Christians are acting, which is still walking like, like losing saltiness, losing light. But what I want to talk about today for the rest of my time is, is just one specific way that we can get off track, and, and that is um, when, we, when we just start setting out to fix people. Uh, we get focused on fixing people, especially people outside of the church. We see what's wrong, we see who's wrong, and we just start trying to fix people. Or specifically, even more specifically, right now, there's a lot of Christians that have become obsessed with fixing America and burning a lot of energy on trying to fix America and doing so uh, in ways that compromise 
who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. So I just want to break that down a little bit. Um, in trying to fix people, we, we, we shift from loving and serving to like confronting and yelling at, like to a bullhorn approach. And it's not people in the walls of the church, it's people out there. And, and, and instead of loving and serving the world, it's like trying to fix and yelling at and confronting and judging. So let me, let's look at, at if you could turn to page 1039, we're going to look at Luke 9. This is an example where, uh, where this happened, and, and the, the important thing about Luke 9 is uh, this is um, uh, James and John, they're a big deal. They're at the center of Jesus' crew. Like these guys, if there were, if there were disciples getting an A in the class, it would have been James and John, but even them, uh, they, they, they struggle with this. Okay, so here we go. Uh, this is 9. We're going to start at verse 51. <clears throat> As the time approached for Jesus to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set up for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome Jesus because he was heading for Jerusalem. Samaritans had a thing for Jerusalem. like That was like rival areas. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Now that village was rejecting Jesus and rejecting the faith of the movement. And James and John go on the offensive. Uh, they ceased to think about the, um, the people, the individuals. And instead, they like brought out the wrecking ball. They were ready to burn them. Now, did James and John at the moment think they were being light? They probably did. Like they thought they were being helpful. Oh, Jesus, should we do that? Let's ideate. But Jesus rebukes them. They got it wrong. Jesus doesn't rebuke a lot of people in the Bible. It's usually his disciples when they get things wrong. And one of the things that they did was they started trying to fix some people and really not even fix them. <laughs> they wanted to break them all the way. Uh, but you see the way they lost the salt and light identity because they were angry with the way people were messing things up for Jesus. And when I look at what's going on right now, uh, we, you know, we have a branding problem. Um, right or wrong, the world sees Christians as agents of hate right now. And we can, you know, we can talk about whether it's right or wrong, accurate, fair, but it's a thing. And I think we at least, knowing that we're salt, light, we're the hope of the world, um, when, when we're supposed, Jesus says our brand, you know, they'll know you're Christians by your love, and we're seen as hateful. <clears throat> we, can, we can talk about why they're wrong for seeing us that way, but I think we gotta, we got to think about it and deal with it and understand we're still salt and light. We're still the hope of the world, and what can we do? to work on that. 
So I want to look at John 8. This is an important case study for now. Uh, for, for now being like the condition that, that the country's in and how uh, we're seen as, as a part of the toxic problem. Christians are seen, churches are seen as a part of the toxic problem in the world. It's on page 1072. Uh, John 8, we're going to start at, at verse 2. <clears throat> this, is a, a, this just becomes a case study because Jesus is the light of the world. And uh, we're going to see how he handles um, uh, people who don't think like him, people caught in sin. And I think it's going to be a good case study for us. Verse 2, at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. And by stone, they're talking about you know, killed by giant stones being hurled at her. And we see that they, they have the stones with them. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with this woman standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, uh, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. So the Pharisee was, uh, was an office title for the clergy, these were the religious elite. They knew the Bible more than anyone. They spent more time at churchy gatherings than anyone. Question number one, did they think they were being light to the world? Probably. Number two, were they familiar with the Bible? Yes. Number three, were they zealous for God? Yes. Number four, was their technical interpretation of the scriptures correct? Yes, it was a reasonable interpretation of the Old Testament law. But how did Jesus respond? He sent them on their way. What I want you to see here is that, first of all, Jesus risked his own reputation to come alongside of her. These people had stones. Like they had weapons in hand, rocks in hand. And Jesus still positioned himself in harm's way to protect her. And in that society, if you come alongside of the riffraff, you're in with the riffraff. Like that's just in a religious elite society, there were clear boundaries and there were expectations. This was a dangerous, controversial thing Jesus did by positioning self, himself in defense of her. And then he extended grace to her. I don't condemn you. This is the judge of the world saying, I just want you to know that I don't condemn you. 
So there was step one, come alongside her in a way that even risks reputation. Step two, speak words of affirmation or at least I don't condemn you. And that's an important thing. I probably shouldn't have said, I got the riffing. He didn't affirm her in her sin. He said, I don't condemn you. And then, and only then, did he actually say, go and leave your life of sin. So he risked something. There was some skin in the game before he said any kind of, hey, you need to leave your life of sin. What the Pharisees wanted to do was skip right to step three. What we often want to do is skip right to step three, because we see the problem. And a lot of times the whole battle happens on Facebook and mean comments on Twitter anyway. Like there's no relational connection at all. It's just straight condemnation. But I want you to see step one, risk something in relationship. Step two, I don't condemn you. Then step three, now go and leave your life of sin. I want to read you a verse and then a quote, and this is the best quote I've heard in a long, long time. Okay, Here's John three seventeen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John three seventeen. Author David Hoskins, if God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, I doubt he sent you. Isn't that awesome? Um... Like, we need that. We need that reminder. God isn't looking for somebody to go in the world to condemn the world. And right now, there's just a lot of people yelling at the world. I mean, I was, my wife and I were headed to Costco the other day, and in that nine-hour light there on how... Um, like there's there's some like there's some pressure to get through that yellow, isn't there? Um, there's a guy that had this speaker set up um, across the street on that corner, and all you could hear is gambling. Uh, like, you know, just you'd hear a sin pretty clear or a perceived sin pretty clear or what he thought was a sin pretty clear. And then you just hear like tone and you knew he wasn't like, hey, everybody. Um, he's yelling at people. And then I saw like Jesus signs and knew, OK, that's that's with with uh, THs on the end. When you break out the THs on the end of the word, it gets serious. Um, repenteth, whatever. Um, for clarity. So he's just there yelling at people. And they're not coming to him for advice. And they certainly don't necessarily represent church people or Jesus people that should know. He's just yelling at the world. He's in the world to condemn the world. At least that's what it seemed like. And I'm sure what it was perceived like by a lot of outsiders. So, okay, there's a spectrum. And, and because, because there's, a, there's, a, there's a part of light, like, like there's a spectrum. Um, a part of light is pointing out to people, exposing things for what they are. Okay, if, if, if Mark is headed up the steps, and I'm like, 
see how good I am to get the flashlight out. Hey, hey dude, there, there's, there's a bear up there. Like, seriously, there, there's, a, there's a bear up in the back. You don't know? No. Okay, I'm just telling there's a bear. I, I think it's a really, oh. Like, sometimes you got to shine a light and be like, that, that's not, that's a dangerous thing you're getting yourself into. Okay, or if, if, if Motorcycle Dave here, if we're skydiving and, and he grabs the, like, the Patagonia backpack, I'm like, dude, I don't think Patagonia makes a parachute. I think you got a backpack. I'm just concerned. I'm not being all judgy. I'm just concerned that that's a backpack, not a parachute. Like, there's a part of, of truth-telling that's like, the, like we got to be that. But it's also, dude, you're what's, you idiot. That's a backpack. You're what's wrong with America. You are ruining this country. Like, there's, there's judgy, condescending ways, and then there's like, hey, I, I, seriously, I... But a lot of it, too, is like if you're coming into a church, it's also different. When people come into a church, I need to assume that they're there to hear reasonable interpretations of Scripture. And at times, that's going to be convicting. But know where you're at on the spectrum, because I'm pretty far over on the grace side of the spectrum. Like, I just feel like Jesus is like, hey, uh, the amount of mercy you extend to, extend to others, God will extend to you. I know. Well, I need lots. If I'm going to be in heaven any day, I'm going to need a lot of mercy, so I tend to be like, you know, I err on the side of grace. Others see black and white and, and feel strong conviction, and they don't mind conflict, and they're quick to say, that's wrong, and it's wrong whether you know it or not. And, like, that's a big part of it, too, is just, um, you know, how comfortable are you with conflict? Like, I cut off my right arm to avoid conflict. Like that whole COVID thing with masks. You better have masks. You better not have masks. How about I just give you my right arm and we all just be okay? Like, I, you just know where you're at on the spectrum of grace to truth and, um, and, and probably try to keep some balance here. But Jesus, as he closes that section that we read, said, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven, not that they may hear your opinions, or not that they may hear your condemnation and glorify. He says, see your good deeds. And Peter says, live, live such good lives among the pagans. That's people far from God out there in the world. Live such good lives, though they accuse you of doing wrong. Like they're, they're not your friends, but they see your good deeds and glorify God. And I think we're in a season where we just need to spend more time loving and serving people in the world that we don't agree with. Um, let them see our good deeds more than we say things where they hear our words. Like just for a while um, to compensate for the fact that right now we're, we're seen as, like we have a, there's, there's a church image problem in America, generally speaking. And I think it'd be good if we had a nice long run of, of loving, serving, and not condemning. Um, just my opinion about that uh, right now. So let me, let me close. You can abandon, you guys can come up for one last song. Um, one last thought. And that is, Jesus started the sermon by announcing to people who they were. You are salt. You are light. You have tremendous value. And I know that there are some of you here that, 
that struggle with that because maybe you grew up in a in a in a you know a, a condemning church environment or with parents who didn't instill your worth and your value and it's hard for you to believe that you have great worth and maybe some of you just need to see Jesus like looking you with that with that um uh, excitement and certainty in his eyes, like you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You have great values. We're going to do great things together in this world. And you just need to soak that in. Your worth coming straight from Jesus because we are the hope of the world, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. It's in us. And that's who we need to be. And that starts with just believing it. So maybe some of you need to, you know, I renounce the lie that I'm worthless. I renounce the lie that God can't use me or that God doesn't want me. And I believe the truth that I'm the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I'm a part of the hope of the world. All right, let's stand. We're going to do one last song. And here's the deal. Jesus prayed that God would, uh, would send his kingdom, that he would bring his kingdom. Father, may your kingdom come. And then he told his followers, we need to be regularly praying for God's kingdom to come. And, and really that comes uh, through us living out the teachings of Jesus. That's the kingdom of God coming to the, this earth. And that is the hope of the world. So let's start with this prayer through song. And then by living it out this week, let's bring God's kingdom to this world.